0: This is a HeadGum Podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. Fulcher's podcast about, well, jokes and those who write them. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Hi. A few episodes ago... We are the audio of a panel I moderated with writers who work for all the late-night shows that filmed in New York. And it was fun, funny, and informative, so I thought, let's try it again, this time with the writers for the shows that shoot in L.A. So we did exactly that. At the end of July at House, we assembled five writers, Jesse Gaskell of Conan, Danny Ricker of Jimmy Kimmel Live, Matt Gunn of Real Time with Bill Maher, Jocelyn Richard of I Love You America with Sarah Silverman, and Jenny Yang of Busy Tonight. It should be noted that those last two shows had already been canceled by the time of the panel. If you listen to the first panel, you'll notice pretty quickly with this one that it is different. Where the New York panel, I intentionally focused on newish writers opposed to producers. The L.A. panel included Jesse, who has been at Kona for five years, Matt, who has been at Real Time for 13, and Danny, who is the co-head writer at Kimmel. As a result, as you'll notice, they have so many questions for each other, because these are the people that are hypothetically changing their own show's processes and are curious about how the other ones do it. As a person who lived through it, if you are curious about how Late Night works, let me just say, buckle in, it is quite the ride. So, without further ado, take it away, me. Thank you guys for joining me. Some of you uh, on your weeks off, some of you guys, uh, well. The show, I guess, is off, generally. So, um, um, But so for the audio version, I feel like a good place to start is I'm going to ask a question for each of you to answer. And please say your name first so then people like can associate your voice with your name. So the first question, how did you get the, your, your current or the most recent job you had in Late Night?
2: I'm Jesse Gaskell. Um, I write for Conan. And I got the job there by submitting a packet more than once, um, and more specifically, I had been writing on a, a show that was hosted by a Conan writer, Dion Cole, who went off to uh, host his own show, also on TBS, and so I got hired as a writer there, and the Conan people kind of got to know me, and it was a little bit of a, like, okay, she's not crazy, um, and so then when an opening came up on Conan, Oh, and Dion Cole's show got canceled after six episodes uh, because it was a ahead of its time. <laughs> like, that all canceled shows are. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, when, a, when an opening came up, I put together a packet, and I think that packet at that point was better than the previous ones. Uh, but also, they, they knew me a little bit, and so it, it all just fell into place.
0: Uh, I'm Jenny Yang, and I was recently uh, a staff writer and a performer uh, on Busy Tonight on E! with Busy Phillips. It has been canceled since, but um, I was there for uh, a couple of the first development times that we met up, as well as the first season. And um, I got my job because I'm an internet person, I guess. I'm on Twitter a lot. And you that's, an influencer? <laughs> I will never say that, <laughs> even though sometimes I do get these random solicitations. <laughs> They're like, eh, "Would you like to try our tea?" You know, like it's like, yeah. Anyway, it's gross, so um, I don't ever say yes. So um, I, I'm on Twitter a lot. I've made some like digital videos over the years, and I think just through that, um, I was recruited to submit a packet. It was my first time submitting a packet. I know I sound like an asshole. I got the job. It's great. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it was a really like cool way to like get a job.
3: Uh, my name is Danny Ricker, and I actually interned at Jimmy Kimmel Live at the end of 2006. It was my last semester in college, um, and I just really liked the show, and I, I wanted to uh, try working there. and uh, And then I basically haven't left um, since then. I've, I've I've done a bunch of different jobs. I um, right when I graduated, I had a job as a clip researcher, or as we call it, a TV watcher at our show, uh, which sounds Uh, Super chill, but it is super Um, (laughs) non-chill. It was like, I I would basically, I'd sit in a room with three other people and we would watch, um, I'd watch like Dr. Phil, like under duress sort of, like I was like stressed, like I had to find funny clips that we might show in the monologue, or the writers might come to us and go, hey, we need like a clip of um, Barbara Walters winking. And i go like, OK. And then I'd like <laughs> watch the month worth of The View, trying to find that. Um, but it was great, though, because I got to know the writers really well and kind of see how all that uh, worked. Uh, and then there was a opening as a writer's assistant a couple years after that. And because I had got to know the writers a little bit, I uh, was up for that and got that, uh, which I like a lot. And that was really where I learned how to write. I went to school for psychology. I was planning on being a, a psychology teacher. Um, and then I, I'd always done comedy since I was a kid and, um, or, well, a kid when I was like 15, I did improv and stuff like that. And I, it was Psychology
2: and comedy go hand in hand, y- Yes, they sure.
3: do. Now in hindsight, I think probably as I've tried to justify like why I spent so much money on a psychology degree, I, I've, I've said that to myself a lot, but it is true. I mean, like we are just trying to figure out like what- if something will work, is like, what will will this make sense to anybody? So uh, that is psychology. Um, so then I was a writer's assistant for two years, and then I got a job as a staff writer. And uh, instead of kind of in the general population of staff writers, um, I did my first writing job was I would sit with Jimmy all day and basically take everything that was approved, all the jokes and the bits... And weave together his kind of his long draft of the monologue, which he would then go in and rewrite. Um, but I was also writing jokes and bits through that. Um, and then about four years ago, five years ago, uh, a co-head writer spot opened up, and uh, I've been doing that ever
4: since. Um, I'm Jocelyn Richard, and um, I think I also so. And I wrote for uh, "I Love You, America" with Sarah Silverman on Hulu and that happened because I also, so I submitted a packet, and the production company was Funny or Die, and I had worked uh, with them on a couple other things, like I'd worked for that show at midnight, and then I was also a staff writer there, so I, I kind of knew a few people there, and when packets came out, I submitted a packet, and they read them, and I interviewed, and that's kind of how that came about, but I think at that point I had written up just a million packets already and every time you write one you kind of get better at it so it probably it probably wasn't horrible um, but uh, yeah so that's you know that's how that happened I guess Hey I'm Matt
5: Gunn uh, I write for real time with Bill Maher I've been doing that for the past 15 seasons um, we just had our 500th episode I guess I've worked on about 460 of them. Um, And I got my start. I had a political blog, kind of like, this was back in 2004, though, when (laughs) blogs were still a thing. Um, And uh, I worked at the home office at HBO. And somebody at HBO um, connected me to um, to, to our executive producer, who's Sheila Griffiths, and she liked my blog. So I got hired um, as a writer's assistant. Like, Danny, I started that way. And I remember the, uh, the first week, my very first week on the show, we used to do these rehearsals where we have five guests every week, and the writers would actually play the guests in this rehearsal. And um, usually it was only the writers, and I was the new guy, um, but I, only, I, I was the only one who read the book of one of the guests. And we don't do this often, but it was a guest. It was kind of a dumb jock. Um, I, I don't want to name names, but it was Jose Canseco. <laughs> um, and I went out for Bill to interview me. And Bill, anybody know? He's kind of an intimidating guy, you know, when he's got you in the, in the crosshairs. And my, our, um, our head writer right before, and there's an audience of about 150 people. Um, and our head writer before we went out, uh, first, he said, don't show him any fear. Um, and then right after they announced Jose Canseco and I walk out, he, he whispers into my ear, don't fuck this up. (laughs) And, uh, I went out and I sat down and one of the first things I said to Bill, Bill asked me a question and I used like a, um, a dumb jock word that wasn't really a word. Like I said, it was, uh, Barely imperceptible, misimperceptible. And Bill just kind of keeled over when I said that. and every, I, I felt like I had him, and every, ever since then, we've been good. <laughs> <laughs> so th- there's a whole
3: rehearsal that happens with like an audience? I'm, ve- I'm intrigued by this. Yeah.
5: The, uh, the, we stopped doing the whole, there is a whole rehearsal every Thursday with an audience. Um, we stopped playing the guest parts after the strike, because I think Bill Felt it wasn't that valuable. Um, But we still test all our jokes. We had one today. You know, we wrote our monologue this morning, tested the monologue jokes, tested. We do a segment called New Rules at the end, an editorial. And then we see what works, and we take what works for Friday. How
3: different? Like, do you do major changes, or it depends on the week?
5: It depends on the week. But, um, you know, monologue, I'd say usually probably at least half of it comes from Thursday. Since we're a weekly show. Um, we hit it pretty hard on Thursday and then just get to sharpen it up on Friday. Before you got the jobs you got,
1: what was your your relationship to late night sort of growing up or sort of coming up through comedy? Was it a, a thing that you were always looking towards, sort of any of you? Um, I
3: I remember, you know, I was like SNL, which I'm sure that's probably most people's uh, answers here. But I remember where late night talk shows specifically clicked for me was they... I was too late to stay up to watch the show, so I never really saw them, but Comedy Central started rerunning the previous nights, late night with Conan O'Brien at like three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and uh and I was I was like, oh wow, this is awesome. And it was I was interested in sketch comedy and stuff like that, but it was the first time I kind of saw, oh, there's like it's a nightly show, these people out here I think are the writers and they're doing stupid things and that's fun. <laughs> And uh, so I think that was the first time was I ever saw a late-night talk show, and, and that kind of seeped into my
5: brain. David Letterman, uh, when he had the late-night NBC show, and that was every time the theme music came on, I got chills up my spine. And uh, even in my first couple of years as a writer, I'd still I'd have to fight hearing Letterman in my head, because I was often writing Letterman jokes. And Letterman's not Bill, you know? <laughs> and I have to say, you're writing Bill jokes. In SNL, like you said. I mean, the TV was constantly on in our house. Um, And uh, I remember when uh, Ed Grimley, when, when Martin Short played Ed Grimley, and I'd be pissed if there wasn't an Ed Grimley sketch, you know, it was always one of the first few. So, yeah.
0: I was born in Taiwan, and I moved to Los Angeles when I was five. So I didn't really grow up ever thinking <laughs> uh, I could work in comedy, but I'm a stand-up comedian. Like little little immigrant girls, Asian girls aren't really told we're like should be writing for a show. Um, so I don't know, like I just the my only real exposure to late night honestly was I had two older brothers who just watch comedy that was way too mature for like me being in elementary school you know and so they had this tape of the best of saturday night live of eddie murphy and to this day i still have memorized the bits and imagine a tiny my face is the same a tiny jenny you know what i mean like memorizing like like uh it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood it's like mr robinson's neighborhood and it was like he did finger puppets where he Put up his middle finger to Ronald Reagan, like it was like what? Like even as a kid, I still kind of got the subversiveness, you know what I mean, of like, of that humor. But uh, not very not PC humor anymore. But um, I just that, that was like I memorized it as a child. I don't know why. <laughs>
2: I actually watched Conan in high school and college. And I'm not just saying that because he's never going to listen to this. How dare you? Maybe he will. I'm sorry. No, he won't. <laughs> but, I, yeah, so he was like my ultimate, which is why when I got the job there, it was, it, it was very surreal. And even probably a year into it, I was like, there, there's been a clerical error. And any day now, they're going to figure out that I'm not supposed to be here. I don't know what's going on. Um, But I also watched SNL, and that was a big – that was a huge influence to me. And in high school, my good friend and I would always – we would do SNL sketches at our, like, pep rallies before football games. (laughs) And we would basically just verbatim take the SNLs. And it was always, like, a Sherry O'Terry and a Will Ferrell sketch. Um, And we would just, word for word, act out the sketch. And then everyone – would just lose their minds over how funny it was. And they would tell us how talented we were, and we were like, oh, my God. They don't know that we've, we've just copied that. Amazing. And then there was one time that we actually tried to write our own sketch, and it was so bad. <laughs> and it was, I think the whole sketch was, it got meta, and it was all about us trying to write a sketch. And then, like, at the end, we just decided to have him, like, Have tear away track pants and have a Speedo on underneath so that everyone went crazy. (laughs) That's a great ender. That's a great, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) Wait, I I just remembered something. Do you remember when um, Michael Moore had that show, TV Nation? Yes. So I was a kid, and I remember it was Friday night, and I remember watching it like, what is this? And I still remember the image of one bit that they did, where he was criticizing the immigration policy and the the, the des- desire to want to put a strong border on the southern border. And he like did, of course, in his snarky way, was like, uh, "We wondered, you know, is it really true that it's so easy to like, you know, transfer whatever drugs and whatever and arms? And they like, so we w- decided to go to the border, the Canadian border. And then like they went there, and there was like, this is the border. It was like nothing. That's my staffer. He like threw like an AK-4." to a staffer on the Canadian side. And even as a kid, I was like, huh, that's funny. You know, like, that's weird, right? Anyway, Michael
4: Moore. Um, Jocelyn? I was, like, supposed to be a really good Women's World Cup soccer player. And then I was supposed to. And then, like, when I was 11, I got bitten by a tick somewhere. And I got super bad Lyme disease. And I, like had these like it's uh, it's really like the least bad thing you can get it was nothing but like I couldn't play soccer anymore and my mom brought back these onion books and she got me this like it was like a VHS like Johnny Carson on VHS or something like that it's like I'm sure they sold it on TV and then I just watched late night and every night I'd watch Letterman and Conan, and I remember like my mom would like Jay Leno, and she'd be like, "Letterman is just so incisive, and you feel like you have to be in his club, <laughs> and if you're not in his club, you don't get it." But so then, so we incisive, would, yeah. <laughs> so after that, I that was just I was like, "This is what I want to do." Yeah. I think there's just yeah, and and SNL of course too. You'd watch on the weekend.
1: So I want to talk about uh, typical days. But considering you all work um, or or worked at different shows with different schedules, some weekly, some some nightly, um, I want to do something that I know worked because it worked last time, uh, (laughs) which will go through the day in sections, and you'll describe what happens in said section for your show on a show night. So when it was one a show night or on the weekly shows of Friday, what have you, um, or show day. Sometimes the shows don't shoot at night. Um, Nonetheless uh so what is a morning like or was it like when are you are getting in Was the sort of the first thing y'all are doing
3: uh at Kimmel we do our first batch of writing from home in the morning I because we we start early um so we we have a, a very um uh sad and dedicated man named Greg um, who's our researcher who gets up at I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I like think 3 a.m. and reads every article. I gasp. Yeah, I, I know.
2: Need to, I need to gasp into the microphone.
3: <laughs> this way, I'm not saying this is a, a humane system we're running here, but um, it's it's respect, how though. respect, respect. <laughs> it's how we figured it out. Um, but so he so he gets up and he he reads every website you can think of, and he's looking for the big news stories of the day or smaller ones that are kind of in our wheelhouse, and you know we're, we try to do a mix of. Uh, you know, we'll have like a couple things about, um, what the president is doing. And then we also want to, you know, we like to try to talk about just what the things people are talking about. So we try to go, Hey, like, um, oh yeah, like father's Day is this week, people are buying father's day presents. Maybe there's something we can do with that. So we, we try to be eclectic and not go all in on, on, you know, on politics, unless it's one of those days where it's just insane and we have to, you know? Um, but so at so it's 7am. Um, he sends out an email to all the writers going, Hey, here are kind of the, the, 10-ish stories we may cover today. Um, And then from 7 a.m. to 8.50 a.m., that's our first big kind of chunk of writing. We're writing jokes and bits. And then those all get sent in to Jimmy, who then reads them very, very quickly and then um, sends them back, uh, you know, letting us know what he wants to do for the day. So that's kind of our first writing chunk. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: We start, I mean, I I, I always kind of do some news reading at home. Like, really, first thing when I wake up, I... Look at my phone, which is really unhealthy. Um, but yeah, so I'll read news from home and kind of start thinking of uh, of ideas for our pitch meeting, which happens a, probably around nine thirty in the morning, so we get in a little bit before that. Uh, we'll We'll have a pitch meeting where you know, you're pitching on topical stuff at that meeting. and if your idea gets chosen, you then start executing it. And you have until about one thirty. To create a sketch, yeah. so it it'll go, and that's when like things start. That's when you just go into this like panic mode, um, but you get really calm too. <laughs> um, and so you have to, because we produce everything ourselves on Conan. Uh, so if you write it, you also produce it, which means you talk to casting about uh, casting actors for the bit. You you know pick music or you figure out. What sort of, um, if there's going to be like a, a backdrop, um, props, like if there's a pre-taped element, you direct that and you edit it. So it's all like, or maybe, mus- maybe you're coming up with an original jingle because it's a commercial parody or something. So all that's happening in that time. And you're basically just, like, rushing around and fielding a million phone calls. And people are calling, and they're like, what sound effects do you want? And you're like, I haven't even written it yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's that's all really frantic. And then at 1.30, we have a rehearsal with Conan, which... It's a rehearsal, but it's basically like an audition of your sketch for Conan. Um, and so at that point, he he will give input. And, and, you know, he might if he likes the idea but thinks it needs... To get tweaked or wants a different ending, then he'll give notes on that, but sometimes if it just falls flat and and gets zero laughs in rehearsal, then it's just gone, and your whole morning was a waste uh and, but that's and he's
3: heard nothing about <laughs> any of these ideas before because I've heard I, he this usually, about your show and i'm- fa- I'm fascinated <laughs> by this
2: i think he's if there's an idea that the head writer thinks he needs that he's really going to be on the bubble about, he'll run it by him first. But usually he keeps him pretty in the dark, so that he's really coming into it mm. cold, and he's just watching it like an audience member would. Um, but it's that part is the most terrifying part. Yeah, does the that the like job. do you
3: do you? Because I we're the complete opposite. Like J- Jimmy yeah. is is uh, we often say too involved. I, I mean we <laughs> we found out a couple years ago he was approved. Like we'll have sponsored bumpers some nights on our show. Like. Portions of Jimmy Kimmel Alive are brought to you by Arby's like taste the beef or you know whatever. And we found out that he was getting sent those and approving them. And we're like, you dude, like you have enough going on. You don't need to be revising like the, the bacon cheddar or copy or whatever. Like we'll handle that. So, but like I bring it up because by the time we get to rehearsal, he sees a bit, he's approved the concept, the script. He's potentially done three rounds of notes on a script. He sees every edit and gives notes on it. I mean, he's so involved, and it's it's harder in a way, you know, cause we can't often surprise him better. with things. <laughs> but but then so I, I've heard like the Conan process go, oh, that sounds fun too, that we could like, you know, kind of toil ourselves and, and then yeah. come and, and show the product too. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know.
4: So then does he just, uh, if you're in the middle of auditioning a sketch, does he ever just sort of do a little bit of math in his brain? right there and just say, like, let's go this direction or something and then you have to revise?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, he almost always knows exactly where the sketch is. I, he's, a, he's a writer and that's how yeah. he started and you just see his brain. Like, he already knows exactly what we're doing. And the best thing in the world is when you can surprise him and, he, and you really get a belly laugh out of him and that just, like, ugh. that's he never laughs. For... Is it true? <laughs> no, he, he doesn't. He laughs okay. a lot, yeah. But it's hard, it's hard to surprise him because he's, he sees all the moves coming and he's, like... I would never want to play chess with him. It would be terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, the rehearsals are good because he does, like, he really will work with something and give it a shot if he kind of believes in the premise. But there's also so many things that, like, if one, you know, missed cue can sometimes throw everything off. And it's like, well, that we can fix. But it might have already ruined the sketch. Do you feel like it's it's gone
4: then? Like, so let's say it's like the first, it's like a cold read and he's doing it for the first time in like, you know, sound isn't right. And then the, the mood is gone and you have to move on. Do you, do you ever feel like, okay, three months later, I'll pitch that again. Or is it just like gone?
2: I mean, I think I I wouldn't pitch the exact thing again, but I might try to find a way to rework it. Yeah, and yeah. I uh, yeah I should do that more actually because <laughs> I'm out of ideas. <laughs> we <laughs> like all <it's> are totally <laughs> tapped out. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it is. It can be really frustrating, and we all you know then you go back to your office and you shut the door and. Maybe you cry for a little bit, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it can be really devastating if something like out of your control happens that really just kills it because, you know, that's just fate, I guess.
0: Um, it, you know This is a new show, right, on E! And so it ch- did shift a little bit. I think in the end we settled on um, 8 a.m. call time. Uh, there's three of us who are writing as well as on camera um, during monologue, so but the, 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 the morning was focused on writing for busy, obviously, and it was for the monologue. 8 a.m. we show up, we look at the news. Even the night before, we might have looked at like what was trending on Twitter or whatever, and then we just kind of like go in and like put in a master document. These are the headlines and the links, um, and then at around 8:30, 8:45, depending on what the vibe is that day, um, then. Um, Lizzie comes in to kind of have us pitch it, in a way. So we go through and she'll read it, um, and then we if something lives in the room in a good way, then it's like an automatic vote that's gonna happen. If we happen to also pitch on the bits, or the jokes that could happen, or the take, that happens. So that's around um, 8.45, sometimes we'll start at 9.15, and then that could also go, depending. Um, but we'll usually have like 20 something to 30, you know, we wanted to get as many cause we don't know what obscure thing, you know, it, it really was an experiment, you know, because it's so new. It's like, well, let's the voice and sort of what Busy was really going to be attracted to. So that was, that was cool to kind of like figure that out.
1: The, the, our weekly shows on the end.
0: Well, this one, yeah, this yeah. is yeah. daily. Yeah. So yeah.
4: Yeah. So ours was, uh, I love you America was weekly. And they also did sort of a writer producer model, so it really was your schedule just depends on what you have to do that week, what you're producing. So, if somebody's on uh, the topical element of the show, they're they're writing something a couple days before. If you're producing a field piece, you might be in an edit, uh, finalizing that. If you're a sketch, uh, you wrote a sketch, you're you know working with those sketch producers and. Uh, if you're on monologue, you you know, you would work with Sarah really one-on-one to, to get that down. So it just depended on the person. Was,
1: was everyone doing everything or is it? Yeah, th-
4: yeah, everybody would pretty, I mean, you'd know a week before what everybody had to do and then it was your job as the writer to just kind of get that through to the end. So it just depended on the, the person. It was pretty unstructured that way. And it was also a new show, you know, so like yours, it would just kind of change and adjust depending on what was going on.
5: All right. Show day, Friday. This is pretty much what I've been doing every day for the every Friday for the last fifteen years. Um, I wake up at 7:11 a.m. I uh, get my phone. I go to politicalwire.com. Well why
3: 7:11? We can't buzz by. I
5: just—it's li- just my thing.
3: <laughs> okay,
0: okay. Maybe that's the um, trick to longevity yeah, in the late night. Yeah. Wow.
3: Wow. I got to change my
5: uh, alarm. Wow. 7:11. I look and I see what Trump poop tweeted the night before. Um, and other premises. I go to a couple other websites. I get the kids ready for school. Um,
3: that, that, by the way, as a parent, is the hardest part of this whole process. Is <laughs> yeah. tr- trying to write uh, bits while you're making uh, uh, waffles and oatmeal and stuff.
5: Exactly. But, yeah, feel, Do yeah. you
0: ever try your bits on your kids? Please say yes.
5: Um, I, I well, your kids are slightly older than mine. I, but I'd yeah. be ta- we're on HBO, so I'd be taken away by <laughs> family services. I think. <laughs> <if> I, <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, take them to school, get back home, take a shower, try to make myself laugh in the shower with my premises, see if anything catches there. I live about half half an hour away from the studio, so I drive in studio, try to make myself laugh on the way to the studio. I usually get about... Ten jokes or so, maybe that I just have in my head.
4: You're just Um, saying monologue jokes in the shower.
2: Well, in my head, I'm not. I I don't say. This is what 15
4: years gets uh, you. Okay, this is like Jesus.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and are you a generous (laughs) laugher?
3: You you must look insane driving to work and just laughing (laughs) laughing
1: on the 405 (laughs)
3: over. Do you write them down? Do you have like a voice memo thing? Because I I do not. No, I, I, try I forget to keep everything keep immediately. Yeah,
5: yeah. I try to keep them with the, um, you know, anything that's probably worth keeping. I think I'll remember. Wow. You know, what? so so I get there. We have um, Fridays. At one day we have donuts and bagels. In the office, so I go in, I get um, a bagel that I put salmon cream cheese spread on. I didn't know and we then, were including this um, aspect oh, yeah. of our mornings. Yeah.
0: I, I, I didn't, I and, didn't, I, I think I, I, I missed get, the white hot panic that yeah. I experience in the mornings. I get I two donuts,
5: uh, and then I put two a paper donuts? towel over the bagel and the donuts, <laughs> hoping that nobody in the office will notice that I've got two donuts and a full bagel. <laughs> and I go back to my office and I write about, I, i in total I'll have about twenty five jokes mm-hmm. uh turn in time on friday is twelve twenty and that's my morning nice. Great.
1: uh so uh what do you guys eat for lunch uh, <laughs> and is and is our is it free or was it free at any of your places some some of the late night shows in New York get free lunch every day
3: we yeah the writers uh on our show we have free lunch we have a, a wonderful woman named camille who uh makes us a meal which of course we are delighted by um and um yeah we uh it's good. It's it's fresh. And uh, we also, you know, we work in, um, we work on Hollywood Boulevard. So there's like uh, really you our- You
2: can't go outside. Yeah. Our our, <laughs>
3: our dining options are Hard Rock Cafe and Hooters. Um, so it's kind of like it's necessary. Um, and I, I feel like this weird, um, it, it it's a weird like classes thing that makes me very uncomfortable. The writers are the only one who gets this like very nice catered lunch. I The reasoning was like we are, that is a time when we're working and we couldn't like leave because we were like have deadlines and stuff. Um, but of course, you know most people find a way to complain about the uh, the meals as it is. <laughs> Do, I, is is food a common complaint at your shows? Or, oh my uh...
2: god, everything's a common complaint. <laughs> I mean, riders are the biggest complainers in the world.
3: We we did something. Uh, first of all, I, I think because I, I used to order the lunch, I'm very sensitive about riders <laughs> complaining about the lunch. And um, this year for Christmas, uh, our other co-head writer, Molly, and I shot videos, uh, mostly unbeknownst to the riders, of them complaining about this-I mean, a beautiful meal <laughs> that laid out before them like they were sultans. And uh, we, uh, instead of buying them Christmas gifts, we sent them the video and said, We've donated money in your name to the LA Food Bank. <laughs> 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 Just because we're like, let's. let's Let's not forget how privileged we are to be yeah. given like a free uh, meal every day. But, yeah.
0: uh, we, we have four shows a week. Um, sometimes we double.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, there was always a double show day. Yeah. Um, it was, it's just a way to save money. And so especially on the double show days, we had uh, catered food. And that was just crew food, c- crew lunch that everyone got. Um, but no, the
4: writers, we got our own food.
1: That's
4: great. Ours was just catered. I don't know. <laughs> That's
1: fine. Uh, it's yeah. a, I mean, a lot of the New York I people mean, had to like, get their own lunch
4: yeah it was like, you know, it' was crew stuff. like you'd go down and then we'd have I forget how it works, some sort of a betting pool on the food and <laughs> like, you know. like how
3: what well were you betting on?
4: Like just like like I forget how it worked, but it was like guessing who who which one was the best. and it was a, it was a little bit of a time waster, but it was fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we get our own food, um and we have a comment. we were on the Warner Brothers lot, so there's a commissary there. Um and every day of the week is a different like special day. Ooh. <laughs> so it's like Monday's pasta day, Tuesday is lettuce cups, Wednesday is uh chicken wings, Thursday is Thanksgiving.
3: <laughs> every Thursday is every Thanksgiving. Every Thursday is Thanksgiving. Wow.
2: I, apparently they tried to change it at some point and there was like an uprising. There was a revolt. And then Friday is Walk Friday. So there's like a Asian flair. But <laughs> after five years of being there, it's like every single day, It's it starts to feel like you're in a mental hospital. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like shuffling in your slippers to the commissary. It's Gravy Thursday. Yes. <laughs>
5: Our food isn't that interesting. But it, it's, yeah, Thursday there's a spread, a nice spread.
1: Nice. So after after lunch, until uh, show, what happens? You can go first since I rudely interrupted you. First. Oh,
2: no, no, no. <laughs> I'm I'm really sorry. So 1.30
1: you do the sketch thing, and then what happens? Oh, yeah,
2: so we have rehearsal, and then after rehearsal you go back and make any changes that have come out from, sometimes it involves even like a total reshoot Of something. That's very rare, but occasionally that'll happen where it's like, ah, we really need to just reshoot it with, um, I don't know, a new actor or something. Uh, Or it'll just be a new ending. That happens a lot. Um, Because it's so hard to think of endings, right? (laughs)
3: Right. (laughs) I,
0: <laughs> how about, how yes. about rip away pants?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's basically how things end up <laughs> ending most of the time. And,
3: and and when you're, like, say when you're stuck on an ending, is do you go, are you sitting with the whole writing staff of Conan, or is it kind of up to you to, like, sit at your desk, or do you pull one other person in? Like, what's, how does that work for you guys?
2: Well, initially, when you first start writing, it's, it's actually very individual. Um, so you'll go, just go write it on your own in your office. Unless, so occasionally we'll, um, gang right something if it's like the, a real time crunch or if multiple Can I just stop people- you real quick? By
0: the way, gang right is a, if you don't know this, is a carryover from like an old timey like comedy term that I love that you Took away the last word because usually they used to call it gangbang, <laughs> right? Which is so messed up. I just wanted to highlight like this is just a part of like sort of comedy writing culture. Yeah,
2: I guess it's. <laughs> I mean, that's probably from when only men were allowed to do that's comedy. right. That's
0: right. That's right. Sorry, I didn't um, interrupt, but... No, no, yeah. but gang yeah, it.
2: it is. It's it's pretty individual generally, and then you know, it's it can be all hands on deck if it's like if it's sort of an emergency situation, um, but. It's a it's a comedy emergency. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Someone will die if we don't get a tag to this. It feels yeah. like
2: life or death. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah. So then you, from that until the showtime, you are either revising your sketch or you're starting to work on the next day. And then at four thirty is when the taping happens, and that's when you know you either get to. Luxuriate in the laughter of the audience, or you're just yelling at the screen because you're like, "No, oh, the cues! Oh my god!" Or like <laughs> that person flubbed a line, and uh. but there's so many things that can go wrong. Um, but then luckily, you don't have a lot of time to draw on it because you have to start working on the next day.
1: So, what time do you guys shoot?
2: Four thirty to five thirty, or well, now four thirty to five because it. now it's half an hour. <laughs> um, and then we meet after the show. Uh, you're probably there till about 7 most nights and then yeah that's it starts over.
3: What what do you guys do in the post show meeting? Cuz we we are like out of there so fast when that, when the show's done oh, really? so yeah.
2: Uh I mean it's usually starting on the next day. So we we often will be pitching uh, for the next day um And then, yeah, just complain, more complaining (laughs) (laughs) about very things. What complaints
3: can we give about lunch tomorrow? Yeah.
2: Yeah. We have to pitch two complaints for the next (laughs) day's lunch. Um, I actually realized I didn't finish the
0: morning for Busy Tonight. Sorry. (laughs) So um, at about 10, between about. maybe 10 or ten fifteen to about 11-ish, we uh, write all the jokes for the topics that they chose. And that's usually like, it was five topics and it became four. Um, and uh, those, those monologue jokes go to Busy and she looks at it. We're also writing the whole script. So all the intros, the like bump-ins, outs. Um, and then hopefully if we need to sit with the segment producers to actually script out the bits that were gonna happen. Um, and so that takes us to about noon-ish. And then the the writer whose point, well, we rotate with, in three and we just go down to the studio. There used to be a rehearsal when we first started. We realized that wasn't conducive for Busy. So it turned into just going around and going over the script just with her. Yeah, and then there was a um, sort of in-studio just for staging and cues kind of rehearsal, but not running through the full joke so that she could be fresh. I think that's, and then oh. and then we'll like write Actually, we will do last-minute punch-ups even in um, the the control room.
1: So then, what is then? And then, what's your afternoon
0: show, So showtime is two thirty. We have a tiny audience, um, a mighty audience. <laughs> Um, at first, you know, the way that the, the, the show was pitched was that the three of us, Shantira, uh, Jackson, Kelly, Oxford, and I were on on set essentially at the edge. And during the monologue, we would be able to chime in and kind of pitch our jokes or, or comment so that so that it wasn't just like a rich white lady to like talk about the news, you know, <laughs> pop culture news. Um, and so we did that and that was also like right when we turned it in, we were like putting on makeup and like dressing and like mm-hmm. thinking about like, uh, what can we say, you know? What's something we can say that Busy can't say, you know? Yeah. Um, Um, So that was like some of what we were thinking about Um, and eventually that got phased out because you know notes Sure of development, whatever Um, and then um, 230 was yeah, and then we usually wrapped around 330
3: uh, yeah I realize I also didn't finish our morning but um, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of st- steps to these shows yeah. um, I, so uh, once we get the ideas back that Jimmy wants to do uh, very similar to what you were describing Jesse it's like we, we start getting calls immediately and sometimes it's like you've written three sentences and they're like yeah. okay so I see you need like a family you need a house you need a goat <laughs> and you're like I, I think like I'm sorry like I, we, I, I always like I always want to say I'm sorry to our production crew i be like I know this is going to be a huge pain in the ass today um, but yeah so if you're a writer that gets a bit approved we We have a segment producer on the bit, and we have a director, but the writers are very involved making those decisions. You know, you're talking about so approving graphics and music and all that type of stuff. Um, So if it's a pre-tape we're doing for that day's show, it's it's. I mean. You're just like sprinting to the end, and so you know you're casting. They get a location. Um, one of our field producers lets us shoot at her house. So like, ev- if you ever see a sketch shot in a house on our show, it's at our producer Nancy's house because she just lets us use it for free or very cheap, and it's always available. So they're like, okay, we're going to Nancy's house. Like the actors are going to meet us there in 40 <laughs> minutes, and you're trying to like write a script like so fast, and um, and then so the writers will uh, get they'll send a script to uh, myself and uh, Molly, the other head writer. We'll do a pass on it. Usually, send it to Jimmy. Jimmy sends it back uh, with his uh, yeah. his rewrite on it, uh, and then that's our approved script that we're going with. Uh, we basically shoot what is approved. But if you know, we hope other things kind of come up while we're shooting and stuff like that. Question: um, yes. What
0: time is the approved script happening, and what time is the was the actual live taping?
3: Uh, the we tape at five. We try to have everything to him finished by four thirty. The, there's never been a bit he yes. hasn't had a note on. So um, yeah, so I'm so, getting so,
0: adrenaline just yeah.
3: thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is yeah. this is for day of bits. I feel like we used to do a lot. We used to like do three bits every day that would be approved in the morning and air that night. I, I we're trying to do a little less of that just because the I think the quality starts to suffer a little bit if you're shooting that much in a day. Um, and we'll, we'll also have live bits and stuff like that, but, um, uh, yeah, but you're writing as quickly as you can. Um, and then you're, you shoot it, you get it back as quickly as you can, you edit it, um, and then you get it up to him and, you know, he has his notes, and, but sometimes we'll do a man on the street bit, which there's like, we don't necessarily need props for that. We can, we literally shoot them right outside our office building, which is, um, which is great. Uh, and those are fun. And, um, uh, yeah, so then we, uh,
2: how long do you usually have to shoot? To get enough for a man on the street. Bit. That's a great question. Ooh, that's um, good. Yeah,
3: uh, it uh, it depends on the bit. Sometimes they work like instantaneously, and you shoot for like maybe an hour. Um, some days we'll go out if, if we're like we're like hey we shot for three hours like this mostly worked and we think it will work if we get a few more. Um, I I had I shot one recently. Where it was, it was that was the case. We shot for two hours. We're like, this is almost a bit. Let's go back out. And I was bummed because I wore a. I, I was the one out there with the mic, and I wore a really heavy sweater the first day I shot it, and you could see my arm on camera. And then the second day we were shooting, it was like 95 degrees outside, and I was like, oh, I have to wear that goddamn sweater again. <laughs> and, and it was like, like everyone was just like dying in the heat, but we wanted to make it seem like it was all at one time, obviously. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, it really it really depends. Sometimes like we'll be getting like texts from the writers down there going like, if we get two more marks. We're gonna have a bit and it's it's this very like uh, mission impossible like down to the last and like we're like texting Jimmy going like we think you can rely on this and
0: We um, so yeah. so if you had that one that worked faster. Yeah, like within it You shot for an hour mm-hmm. about how many people did you talk
3: to? um I, I, It also really depends on it like um, uh, You know, we, we have a bit called lie witness news Where we'll, we'll kind of like approach them with a fake premise would we'll be like, oh, did you like did you see the comment last night? for instance, and there was no comment and you know, most people go, that didn't happen. You go, have a nice day, have a nice day. And then you, you then you get someone who's like, oh my God, I did. And you go, mm-hmm, like tell me more. And 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 so really like the people that have that, you
2: gotten better at being able to tell who's gonna uh-huh.
3: be um a mark, a, be a dummy? It's it's hard to it's hard to tell. And by the way, we we, we try not to classify them as know, dummies know, because know, we... Oh, uh, come on. But, <laughs> uh, because we... Uh, <laughs> idiots. <laughs> we, we, we've had long discussions about this, yeah, but we think we think a lot of it is people are excited to be on television yes. and are willing to just... Go along with it. We think people also want to help us out. Like they, Aww. like they, like if I'm out there, they think I'm a, I'm a reporter, and I, and I'm like, they go, oh, this poor guy's trying to do a story. Like, sure, I, yeah, I, I yeah, saw yeah. the comment, whatever, you know. um And, and so we're, we're like, nobody. I mean, sometimes we are out there asking them to like. We did one. I, I it didn't quite work, but we got a couple marks. where We just showed them an outline of the U.S. And we turned it upside down. We asked them, "What country is this?" And people had no idea. You know, so uh, that, that sounds
2: th- hard, honestly. That one's, <laughs> a,
3: yeah. So that one is like a little more of a gotcha, um, dummy kind of thing. But um, yeah, but we, we're a little more fascinated just in the like, like, w- why do people lie? And then we, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, so anyway, so we're, we're shooting bits. Uh, we're trying to get them done and edited, approved by Jimmy by about 4:30. We tape at five. Um, and then if you don't have a bit on the show that day, um, you're writing more monologue jokes. Um, sometimes there's late breaking news, especially these days. Um, and so we may have like an additional, like, Hey, let's get at least some jokes on this. Or, um, we also, Jimmy will pick some clips at our rehearsal. Oh, I forgot to mention rehearsal. So we, at 11am we do a rehearsal, uh, where we show bits that are done, which that's rarely day of stuff, but that might be stuff we shot you know, the day before that's ready to show. Now, um, if we're going to do a live bit on the show, we have about 40 minutes, but they usually can get like a very rough version of it together. And we'll go kind of on the script that was in the pitch just to get it up on its feet and see if it works. Um, and then Jimmy watches maybe 20 to 40 clips that the TV watchers have pulled. And so that's where he kind of picks all the elements that he wants to put in the show that day. Um, and then he, and that monologue writer go off and they write that and the rest of us kind of finish our, our stuff.
4: Um, On the day of the show, uh, which I think it shot on Wednesday, um, everything that uh, every writer had been producing for the entire week comes together when we do the rehearsal in the afternoon. So a big part of that rehearsal is it's the first time you're hearing this monologue that you've just been. You could work on a monologue for a month or something. The way that Sarah would do her monologues is she would do she would do something topical right at the top of the show, and then the monologue wasn't exactly you know it was something that was in the in the zeitgeist as they like to say, um, but but not necessarily. So would it be topical. one writer
2: doing the monologue?
4: Yeah. Yes, yeah. oh. and you would work really closely with her on this whole process so you and she's a very you know deliberate writer and uh you know every every word counts and then you would hear her do this monologue and she's really you know great really um good cold reader too off the prompter and so um then you know we would do the really topical thing at the front of the show put all the pieces together do any transitions and then you kind of get together after that uh, in her dressing room and go over what it was and see if you need to adjust anything. And a lot of times it was then going over the monologue, you know, line by line and saying, can we change this word? Can we deliver this this way? And then if somebody, the people that are on the topical thing, you know, maybe you're you're changing your angle of it within the course of an hour and then you're frantically writing something again. So it's basically on the day, making sure everything is assembled uh, in the right way and then working on it until the show would tape at like 6.30 or 7.
5: Okay. Friday, show day. I get out bagels. Yes. (laughs) No, uh, we shoot live at 7 o'clock. We go, yeah, so 10 o'clock in New York, no delay, all live. We don't do any sketches or bits or anything. It's just what happens in that hour is what you see happening, is what we've prepared for. Um, but So 12.20, I turned in my mono. 12.30, we have a meeting we call the Chiron meeting. And that's for, we have this segment we do new rules, and we have puns under each of the new rules. Um, and that meeting lasts an incredible incredibly long time <laughs> usually to come up. Usually Bill's picked about uh, about 10 things that could be new rules. He cuts them down to five by showtime. And for each of those 10, we pick out Kyra. And 90% of our suggestions are way too dirty and gross, even for HBO, you know. Um, Damn. And then at the end of that, uh, <laughs> just making we're just making each other laugh. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of uh, that meeting, we give up the previous week, uh, the sports broadcaster, Bob Costas, if anybody knows him, he's a big fan of our Chirons, which he told us once when he was on the show. So there's a presentation of the costi for whoever had the best pun from the week before. Um, I won it this week. I think it was um, somebody, somebody did a new role about no... For some reason, you, you, no, uh, no case for your barbecue tools or something. And my pun was wrong-tong-silver. Play on long dong silver um, But anyway, Bob liked that one. So he gives out that award. We get a silly prize. Um, then we go prepare for the... Bill comes in at 2.30. So Daddy comes into the room, basically sits at the head of the table. Um, all the the kids kind of try to make them like us with jokes and smart ideas that's is that basically the dynamic at all the shows um yes, <laughs> yes. i don't know and, how people
0: would feel if i called busy phillips daddy you know what i mean that's that, that's a different
5: relationship yeah he sits there with his blue cards and writes down things he really likes which is what he does for the meeting every day, and that's a lot of what becomes the show. And then after that meeting breaks, if there's breaking news, one of us is usually assigned the issue and we go write it. If there's nothing, we're pretty much done for the week and we go to the show and then go to the the after party. And Bill this is Bill's most intense time during the week though. He goes and studies like crazy, he builds the monologue, and to give you guys an idea, so we're there's like eight of us doing about twenty five jokes a day on both Thursday and Friday, so he's getting about fifty yeah on the on the two days, you know somewhere around five hundred jokes, I guess, right. and he throws away around uh, four hundred and eighty five of them, right. and uh yeah, it does about a fifteen joke monologue, and then we go to uh yeah we we do the show and have an after party, which is usually cool and then if the show's if the show's good we celebrate <laughs> now we go home forget about it
4: on a Thursday when you're going through um this rehearsal and and you're you know running down new rules yeah. how, how many do you go through is it just sitting there and like saying like 300 new rules
5: <laughs> no no the new there are many fewer new rules in a good rehearsal there'll be like 25 okay in in an average rehearsal there'll be like uh Fifteen, eighteen, something like that. Do you
3: guys have a pretty good sense of which will be the final ones at that? Re- like before the rehearsal, or are you guys surprised sometimes by the? Reactions? We're surprised
5: sometimes. It's 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 Bill. Bill chooses, you know, and um, yeah, but he. So it's a hundred percent him, and sometimes you wonder. You know, I still wonder. Sometimes I think I nail it. You know, um, and oh, I gotta have the, this joke's definitely gonna be. And I still. After all these years, I still don't know.
3: I, it is funny. Like, this job, it, there's just, like, there's just many times a day where you question your, like, uh, your reality, your senses. It, you know, it's like at 7 a.m., I sit there going, like, I can't write another joke. I don't know how I ever got this job. And then there's, like, an 11 a.m. deadline. You're like, well, okay, I got a couple in the 7 a.m. one, but this one, there's no way. And you just, and and a lot of your batches, everything gets rejected. Or almost everything gets rejected. And it's, it, like, I think we're, it, we're just, it's such, like, a volume uh, based business, I, I feel like they're just like so much. Uh, Jesse, someone from your show, I read this. I think it was from from your show. Uh, said that writing on a late night show is like writing into a paper shredder or something like that. <laughs> I, and I, I was like, that is the greatest analogy I've heard for being a late night writer. It's just like you just know, no matter how hard you work, almost everything is going to get rejected. Yeah, and that's it just really the nature is. It. At
2: least ninety percent of yeah. what you write doesn't go anywhere and is never seen by the public or yeah. consumed yeah. in any way.
5: I, I think it's just the best training for a writer because it thickens your skin and you just keep on producing and then you don't have to have hang-ups about killing your darlings. Yeah,
3: yeah. And, and it is, I mean, it's like going to the gym, which is a, uh, another analogy I've heard a lot. It's just, you, you just, the more you do it, like I, I'm on a two-week break right now and it's going to be very hard. The, the first Monday I'm back, you know, um, because it's just, when you're not doing it every day, it just atrophies so quickly.
2: It's like the gym for the, Weakest, sickliest people in the, the world. The people
3: who have never been to the gym. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? I was just curious. What are the numbers for like sort of staff and sort of number of monologue jokes um, that they're looking at?
3: We have. I. I think the, uh, like the, the the packet that Jimmy gets from us in the morning. I think is maybe like fifty to sixty pages of you know, ideas and jokes. And then what we get back is maybe like two pages, you know? So I think that's like, that's kind of the, the kill rate. I think for us. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to, we're always trying to tweak our system cause we do feel like we have potentially, like we may overwrite on some things, you know? And so we're trying to be a little more nuanced and like not everyone has to write about everything. And we're, we're always kind of experimenting to see how we can, do that just so we're not doing as much waste, you know.
4: How many writers are on stuff?
3: We've s- uh, including Jimmy 17, I think, and Jimmy does a lot of writing himself, so we always we always include him.
4: And there's no like d- s- there's no division of labor in terms of like this is a monologue team and this is a sketch team. Everybody's just sort of
3: Uh, funny you should ask because we've done it um, for 16 years. We've done Everybody Does Everything and literally last week we're like, let's try jokes and bit writers. Oh, interesting. How's that been? Um, It's kind of, we only did four shows on it so it's kind of, it's too hard to tell, I think. But, um, you know, I think everyone on our staff would agree, like, I'm a little stronger at one than the other but we also, it's tough too because we have, uh, all of our writers are so great and can do both and so, We don't want to tell a writer like you can only write jokes, and then go like, but maybe that writer would have had the best idea, the best bit idea of the day, and vice versa. So it makes us a little nervous to do it. But last week we just happened to have a bunch of bits planned, and there was less pressure to be coming up with day of stuff. So we thought, let's try it and see. So it's it's an incomplete experiment at this point. We'll kind of we'll see how it goes. But um, yeah,
2: (laughs) it's divided on Conan, and I think it always has been. Um, but there's crossover. I mean, a, a, you know, some occasionally there'll be like, oh, a monologue writer's out sick or something, and you need everybody to write monologue jokes. Um, and monologue writers pitch sketches a fair amount of the time too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it it help. I I don't know I actually, which I would prefer because in some oh, ways, are you on the sketch? I'm on the sketch uh-huh. side, yeah. And it would be nice to... some Like, there's sort of different parts of your brain. It's almost like long-distance long, long distance running versus sprinting, in a way. That's Yes, yeah. And then... Uh, but on the other hand, the monologue writers have to... I mean, they churn out like 40 to 50 monologue jokes each per day, and that just sounds... I I can't even how many comprehend are, how that. How many are there? Well, now there's actually only two, because we... Um, the show went down to half an hour, so... Mm-hmm. Where it's it's not a long monologue, mm-hmm. um, but it's been between two to five for the time that I've been there.
3: We we also do something on our show that I, I don't think I've heard of another show doing. And I don't know, but we every joke we submit has our initials over each one and every bit. Oh my god! <laughs> yep. is is,
2: to is this to Jimmy? Not, we do yeah.
5: it too. You do? We have a wow.
4: spreadsheet. We
5: keep track of who score how many monologue jokes you score. Um,
4: <laughs> over for like overall. Yeah. Yeah
5: when they go to bill it, he see, he sees every uh well he knows it's ours cuz our name's on the right, yeah. the thing but there's just the script coordinator takes a, uh keeps a spreadsheet of uh-huh. who scores how many jokes <laughs> so you
2: have your 15 year spread somewhere yes
5: oh wow yeah i could go back wow. and you're like and a major league baseball that. player i yeah. don't think we're supposed Stats. to yeah i don't think we're supposed to look at it but uh, but everyone does every yeah, day yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I try to <laughs> y- you want to make sure you're not on the bottom yeah, sure, you know
2: yeah. wow yeah. <laughs> That I was always my thing, as long as I'm not at the bottom. Well, yeah. <laughs> well no, you, you guys don't pitch. I've been on shows that do
4: both, and it, f- it feels like people feel a lot freer to pitch if it's done anonymously. Do you guys mm-hmm. do that on, you know, on when, when we, you pitch Yeah, stuff?
2: we yeah. pitch. It's anonymous. I mean, usually we'll submit our pitches in writing, and then the head writer reads them out loud. Um, and that's anonymous. Although we've kind of gotten good at figuring out whose yeah, pitches. Yeah, you
3: <laughs> can tell by wording and. Yeah, yeah.
2: totally. Um, but yeah, and ultimately, if something gets chosen, then it does have your initials on it because you're the one producing it, so everybody knows who wrote it. Um, but I'd like to think that there's not too much of keeping track, although I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure we all kind of are Well, people keep score. track
4: in their own heads because you just yeah. get freaked out if you have enough points on the board, you know? Yeah. So, like, yeah.
3: yeah. yeah Our, ours is less about um, keeping track, and I think it's more about, I think it's about accountability. I don't know why we do it, to be honest. I mean, you know, Jimmy wants us to do it, but I, there are certainly times where I, I know, like, I know he's going to read it, and I know he's going to know I wrote it, and it, it does force me to put that extra layer of thought into it. Um, and, and I think when I was starting out as a writer, too, it also, I think, let me kind of plant my flag a little bit where it's like, oh, hey, like, that was a good joke. And, you know, it's like, it lets you make well, yeah, a name I for yourself. It if
2: it's good. Yeah, right. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> but as
3: we said, only 10% are good. Yeah. So, yeah.
4: Do you think it, it makes you feel less uh, inclined to take really big swings in that way? Like, do people feel like, okay, if he's going to read it and he's going to see it and I take some huge swing that could go either way? Or.
3: I, I think everyone's comfortable doing that anyway well that's yeah that's yeah good. yeah I, I i think like i you know i think if it comes from a place of you know i th- this might be a crazy idea but i think it could work i i, th- I think jimmy definitely appreciates that i mean the, the first ever lie witness news we did i forget whose idea it was but it was um it was uh it was like let's ask people what they thought of the first lady debate last night. Or we like as you know, Michelle Obama <laughs> debated um, uh, Mitt Romney's uh, wife's name, uh, Anne Romney. Uh, anyway, but so it, and 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 it and I remember Jimmy's note was, "There's no way this will work, but let's try it." And then it did, and it became a signature bit for us. So I mean, I think like I, I think the writers do feel comfortable because it's like we throw it in, and he just if he doesn't like it, he kills it, and it's fine, you know. Yeah. It's it's not this big thing. I I imagine for you guys at Conan though, it's it's like the fact that you're producing stuff, it, it feels like probably way more of a swing, I would imagine, right? Like, you have a fully produced yeah. thing, and if it doesn't work, you're like, oh I'm shit, I'm the yeah. only one to blame, yeah. Yeah, yeah right.
2: Oh. No, I mean, it would be nice sometimes to have a little more cover, I think. Just <laughs> a few more people to throw under the bus. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, and then when it goes well, again, like, it's really rewarding, because you feel like, yeah, I really, I, I handled that from soup to nuts, you know? But um, but yeah, then there's also so many places where you could make one tiny mistake, and that can mean the the end of it. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, like we said, it's so there's such it's such a volume business that you do have to just not feel too attached to anything, and nothing's too personal. And you hope that if it's if something humiliating happened, hopefully people have at least forgotten about it by the next day. That is the
3: most freeing thing is like there's <laughs> there's just another one tomorrow. It, it's like, yeah. and, and you, you can't be too big of an asshole if your bit goes great because it's like, I feel yeah. like a day later people are like, oh, he's still talking about that bit from last <laughs> night, you know? And if it's, it's a bad, new day. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you all feel this way, but I I feel like the victories, the the fle- the success feeling is very fleeting, and the yes. failure feeling lasts for a long time.
3: <laughs> yes, and and I think that's I think that's internal. Like I don't think like I, yeah. at least in my experience. It's not like everyone else is like boy that was really terrible but just because we're all crazy we just feel like we but for some reason
0: i don't perceive matt to have any confidence issues (laughs)
3: like
0: i feel like you like if you if you don't have to write things down i feel like that's like he got the bob costas award (laughs) no seriously though like i want to be where you are where you're like in the like shower and you're like writing things and you like it's sticking you know what i mean that's like amazing
3: you're saying you don't hate yourself every day you know what
0: I don't see Matt as, like, he the person... He eats two donuts. He eats two donuts. Yeah. I,
5: I don't have a lot of confidence. It's just that really? all my stuff is amazing.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, I, uh, <laughs> uh, so, late night shows for... uh usually have the name of the host in the thing. It's their show. How do you sort of balance your desire as an artist, as a writer, to sort of use the platform, the platform to express yourselves while balancing... What is the voice of a show and what will define the show? And are there examples of things that you got on? And you're like, that felt like me even if it came out of someone else's mouth?
3: Um, I, I always feel uh, talking about like you know, it being Jimmy's show, like I, I have a policy where if I, if I really believe we like should, or should not do something and you know, he's decided the other way I'll mention it like once. And if he still disagrees, I just go, it is, it's your television show and I'm not the one out there, you know, telling jokes in 30 minutes. Um, and, uh, and, and, and usually it's like, we have a good conversation. We go, okay, yeah, it'll be fine. Or, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, I, as far as things, things I got on that I feel like we're, I I love like Star Wars and Marvel stuff, and um, I I've gotten to write like a couple of, um, very nerdy pieces. <laughs> um, I I did one with um a couple weeks ago with Tom Holland as Spider Man and Jimmy played a dry cleaner, and there was a there was a section in the middle that was decently funny and um, the director and the editor and I had this conversation they're like let's just lift that out and I go just trust me that the people who like this stuff that will be 90% of the YouTube comments and it was it was just him referencing uh, Daredevil from the Netflix show and referencing Deadpool and it was like it's like it's like a chuckle from the audience but 90% of the YouTube comments were like he talked about Daredevil and Deadpool and it was and I was I felt vindicated going (laughs) like the people who this was made for were like very jealous about that. Um, I, luckily, Jimmy loves like Spider-Man too, so it's not that hard to get that yeah. stuff on the show, but um, that, that is an area of interest for me.
0: But that's also ABC. It is the ABC Disney Marvel Universe. Yeah,
3: I, I feel like, I, I'm not a religious person, but I feel like some some cosmic power <laughs> made me a head writer on a show that happens to be owned by Disney <laughs> right now because like, Amazing. I, I mean, that, it's like they go, hey, um, <laughs> like Mark Hamill wants to come do a sketch. I'm just oh like, uh, great, okay. Like, <laughs> I have like talked to him on the phone to do sketches and stuff and I just go uh, like I, people walk by I'll be like I'm on the phone with Luke Skywalker and I'm just like I'm very I feel very uh, blessed that the the timing worked out on that. Anyone else?
0: I think for me as a stand-up comedian and doing a new show, it was a struggle. Uh, it, personally speaking, I think, you know, um I am not Busy Phillips and I, as a stand-up comedian, I definitely speak from my perspective. Uh, a lot of the jokes I thought of, she probably couldn't say, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's a volume business. So for me, it was a lot of like learning. It was a huge learning curve for me about when we do, cre- you know, create that volume, what uh, joke ends up, going you know so like you know what you know when you're like trying to write as many as you can it's like frantic and you're like trying to do math and you're like okay uh mm, this is a nursery rhyme that i could rewrite to like make a thing and then this one time i just chuckled to myself like this is dumb like you know what anyway you're just like this is so dumb this is not gonna go and then in the end like you know she chose it and people laughed in the audience i'm like oh this is, I guess, this is what happened. So it was a lot of this, like recalibrating internally, as well as getting that feedback. You know, um, it's like an open mic every morning, right? Yeah. So.
5: I really identify with that, right? uh, Jenny. It's like you're you're always you're always filtered through. In my case, through this one yes. voice. You know, and one of the reasons I'm sure all of you, a lot of you are writers. You do it because you want to express yourself because you're an artist, you know. And everything's going through this one yeah, person. We are. Sometimes that could be uh, very hard. But you know, when I think about this, though, we've actually got it pretty good because I, I recently, for the first time in a while, wrote a screenplay, um, and everything. Wow. Um, everything takes so long. You know, you're always filtered. Yeah through some no matter what and yes. getting notes and you know getting everything. And at least the the great thing about late night is you have instant gratification pretty much. You do a joke that morning, sometimes it's on that night. And you gotta have, like you said earlier, you gotta have a closer's memory. You know, if you blew the game, forget about it and get back to work. But um but yeah, I find it pretty satisfying. The other great thing about it is it's a little cowardly, but you know, there's some stuff that I wouldn't want to say um, in front of a crowd um, because I don't want to face the blowback. And I work <laughs> for about the best guy on television for that because he doesn't care. And so I'll write anything. He prefers
2: t- blowback. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he'll take it. So
3: it's it's great. Have you ever written anything at real time that you that you personally didn't agree with, maybe uh-huh. politically, but you knew Bill did, and it was a joke that would work for him?
5: Yeah. yeah. I mean that—that's the single hardest part of the job for me, and th- that's why I just—I just think of my paycheck.
4: <laughs> you know,
3: yes.
5: well, when I have to do that, I feel a little a little you Well, know, I, but.
3: but you know, it, but it, our job is to write material for these hosts, you know. Yeah. So I, you know, I, 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 I personally, I, 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 can't think of an example where I've done it myself. I'm sure I have done it, but I, I think like, but my job is to give that person material they want, and so I, I it, to me, I don't think there's a moral obligation nah. there you know but yeah. it's-
5: and I'm lucky too I should say I, I agree with him most of the sure, time yeah. so if it wasn't I remember I, I uh, uh, right around the time I interviewed to be Bill's writer's assistant I interviewed to be De- uh, you know this was way back and then I was writer's assistant for a year and they gave me the contract Um, but I interviewed to be Dennis Miller's writing assistant mm-hmm. and I sometimes think of that because I, I would have quit there's no way I could be Dennis Miller. I find him horrific, you know? And uh, and so I couldn't have been able to do it. Luckily, I found the right person to write for.
3: Yeah, I, I think if you were, like, completely 180 from the host, I would think that would be very challenging to come up with material, you know? So, yeah.
2: I personally feel very comfortable kind of chameleoning myself to fit a host's voice. Um, and I've written for a lot of different hosts, over the years, uh, male and female, and um, RuPaul, which is a little bit of both. <laughs> um, so I really like, I mean, for me, it's a little bit of a puzzle because you're kind of trying to figure out, like, okay, how do I say this thing that I want to say, but also in from the perspective of, in Conan's case, you know, a middle-aged white guy. Uh, but I, I, the thing that I'm finding difficult now is I'm you know, getting into a space of maybe trying to pitch stuff or like develop my own work is that it's hard for me to, uh, come out of that. And then like, I have to rediscover my own voice and I'm like, wait, who am I? (laughs) I don't, I'm all these other people, but I don't know who, what my point of view is necessarily anymore. So I've almost gotten too good at Mm as like slipping into someone else's voice.
0: I do have to say that like for a long time because, you know, calibrating the voice for a new Mm -hmm. show was so on the mind all the time that I literally just had Busy's voice and cadence in my head 24-7. And I think, you know, there is a little bit of that sort of undoing that you might have to programming, do. Programming, yeah. Right, if you have to write for yourself. And I do want to throw in here, what was beautiful about Busy Tonight and Busy and why I wanted to do the show was because she wanted, she wanted our voices to be a part of it. And so... Um, there were times where we literally would be like we would write something, and it was like a joke that Shantira wrote about Colin Kaepernick. But like the punchline was to refer to Colin Kaepernick, even though the the peg was like a Kardashian. You know what I mean? It was like it, you hit him with the that, and then you get him with the that. Um, and we were like, she's they're not gonna, she's not gonna say it, or maybe the network's not gonna let it go. And she said it, and it killed. I don't know if it, it ended up being if, if it ended up being on air at the at the last minute yeah. because. But but that's an example of the kind of dance we had to do and sort of experimenting and wondering, right? Busy's so down to do so many things, but you know, as it gets squeezed into whatever network notes or whatever, we don't know what happens, right? So that that was definitely a very stressful kind of like if you care about something, like where you're like, oh, let's get them with that, you know? Today is, it's a day and day kind of show. We get to comment on it, um, and maybe you're like, this is a chance, and then it doesn't happen. Then it kind of is a bummer. But usually, Busy's actually would like be like so down, you know,
3: we, we had an interesting experience in the last couple of years as we've done a handful of guest host shows. Uh, you know, Jimmy was out when his, uh, when his son was born and all that, um, uh, you know, the medical stuff was going on. Yes. And, oh uh, yes.
0: That is legendary.
3: Yep. Y- yes. That yeah. was uh, great a huge work. moment.
0: That was a huge moment for late night. If, if there was a late night history book, <laughs> you know what I mean? For yeah. a, for a late night Jimmy to break out of a traditional, uh, format. Is very
3: big. Yeah, and I mean, and obviously, I mean, we, you know, we had nothing to do with that. I mean, it was you know, Jimmy and and uh, you know, and his wife Molly, and um, uh, you know, it was one of those things. Like he came back, and it, it, we had already lined up guest host shows because uh, he was just going to take two weeks of paternity leave, and then you know, all this they were surprised by all of this, and um, uh, so he go he told us he goes, "I want to come back, host the first one, just so I can tell everyone what's going on." And that was that night, and um, you know, we asked him, we're like, "Do like." do you need anything from us? And he's like, I got it. And he just, he sat in his office all day and um, he just went out and did it. And it, I mean, it was just, I mean, you know, I, we, <laughs> I mean, we, as, you know, as if you, we couldn't already, you know, respect him enough, but to go out there and, and you know, that that was uh, not an easy thing to do. And, and uh, uh, you know, and, and he became part of the news cycle on that and, you know, kind of got involved in it. So, I, I mean, it was very... Uh, it was, yeah, it was a, a, an amazing moment for us too because we, you know, we all knew what was happening, but not yeah. uh, not in that way that he phrased it. And I, I think they just they had such an experience. I know that they met lots of parents who were in all these situations, and they, they wanted to do something to help, and they, they still do that to this day. So, yeah,
0: it blew my mind. He was in the Man Show. You know what I mean? Like I was yeah. like Man Show yeah. that <laughs> monologue, amazing! <laughs> what a transformation!
2: <laughs> That's a glow up. That is a (laughs)
4: glow up. Definition of a glow (laughs) up, yes.
1: Jocelyn, how did you balance yourself in trying to write for Sarah?
4: Oh, yeah. I I think about what what Jesse just spoke about. Uh, I wrote for a long time at The Onion, and there's literally no byline there. And it was a really good way. There's one voice. It was just a newspaper. And it was a good way to, you know, sometimes hide a little bit. And uh, then I, you know, wrote for a bunch of other hosts, and I always feel like the most rewarding things are when you have a piece and it's working for the show, and it's executing what that person wants to do, and it has whatever weird part of you made you get hired into that. Then that's the best piece, because um, I really do think hosts appreciate, like, when it, whenever you're writing it, like a late night packet, it'll say something on it, like. Um, Write some stuff in the voice of the show that's also super original and mind-bright, you know, and hasn't like been on TV in the 60 years of late night. So you're just like, what? But I really do feel like that's reflective of sort of what what shows want is the ability to write with the parameters of the show and just surprise people, like Mm -hmm. you said, surprise the host and make them laugh, you know, with your own sensibility.
1: So um, Donald Trump is president. I've written about it before, he's sort of a uniquely difficult person to joke about in so much as with satire you want to try to reveal something about someone, but he is so transparently what he is over and over and over again. Um, it's hard
2: to heighten him. Yeah.
1: He's sort of like, <laughs> that is it. He is sort of a – he is the the pinnacle of what he's trying to be. Uh, yeah. Uh, how have you – how do you try to keep it fresh as we are looking to another election cycle? What do you hope from – your shows or sort of late night in general?
3: I I hope that we can um, shift the focus to the right stuff, uh, you know, and um, you know, it's, I think it's easy to grab at the low hanging fruit of like, Oh, did you see what he tweeted? And, you know, and and that and see what he said. And obviously, you know, we're, we're comedy shows and, and we do, we do need to do that. And, And, you know, we like on our show, we do feel an obligation to, you know, still have fun, and we are, you know, we're we are the more kind of classic variety show. You know, I think like, you know, if if we did what John John Oliver did in our time slot, it wouldn't work, and I think vice versa. You know, we we're just different types of shows, so I think we we do have an obligation to like the the toilet paper on a shoe going into Air Force One. It's like, okay, we got to show that. However, I think there are also a lot of really great candidates and important things to talk about, and I I hope that we. You know, while while looking at the funny stuff, we can also bring light to I I, hopefully like a good person who will start to fix things. Yeah. As opposed to just going like, look, you know, the guy that everyone knows is bad. He is still bad. Look how bad he is. Look, everybody. And then there's, you know, all these great candidates who are want to do awesome things that were, uh, you know, the oxygen is getting completely gone by the time, you know, it's time for them to talk about stuff. So,
5: yeah, it it goes without saying that Trump is the best writer we've ever had, you know. (laughs) The setups are the punchlines with Trump, so it's really hard. You're right, and it's hard to do some satire because the audience—if you say he said something ridiculous—audience will be like, "Oh, do you really say that?" Yeah. You know. And I've never—I never thought we'd get a gift from the comedy gods as much of an ass as George W. Bush, and then Trump just obliterates uh, that. And now I think there's definitely for all of us some fatigue. That's setting in, you know. I remember he he start, he really went on the national scene with birtherism. I think that was around 2011. So we had a lot, we did a lot of Trump jokes back then. Oh, yeah. And so it's almost on a decade of just dealing with this guy, and it becomes so hard. My my rule for it is to um, help. I'll, I'll just do I'm sorry, I can't even help myself, but like cocked and loaded you see he tweets cocked and loaded (laughs) (laughs) and one of our writers uh looked it up and it's a gay porn film, of course. <laughs> Only it's a like cockily blooded, and it's it's a gay I'd porn be film. I'd mad if it the,
2: wasn't. Yeah. The, right? Yeah.
5: If yeah, someone dropped the ball, if it wasn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the subtitle is "gang bang daddy porn." Yeah. Um, oh, we brought it back things. to gang was, and, uh, daddy. Yeah. and daddy, and yeah. daddy.
0: This is a full re- uh, and callback. The jo- and
5: the joke he did that didn't get <laughs> on the air, I think, is I think Bob Woodward has the title for his next biogra- White House biography, because <laughs> that's just perfect. Um, but anyway, the the rule I I try to use. Is just, listen, I'm not going to do a, you know, there's a ferret on his head or something. You know, anytime there's a Trump joke, I try to put it to the test of, do I have to tell, is there something better, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot more interesting? Because I think people are getting uh, tired of it, too. His ratings are down. That interview he just did with Stephanopoulos, his interview was, his ratings were, he's got low ratings, you know. Um, so, Yeah. Hopefully, his problem solves itself soon.
0: Well, the solution of to Busy Tonight was very early on, we decided not to try to even name him, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, there's plenty of other people like you all who can handle it. And so it's on E!, E, you know uh
3: (laughs) exclamation point exclamation
0: point it's like live yeah um and so you know we we our focus was uh sort of kind of weird internet ephemera but mostly like pop culture so that was our way if there was an entry point that was interesting and it can go satirical or political then let's try it but for the most part i think um you know we were able to avoid the donald
3: question but I will say like Busy doing her monologue about the abortion was yes. was so powerful and was so a issues, great way. So focus way. on yeah. issues
0: rather than um, personalities, mm-hmm. right? So so she would. She would editorialize about uh, tougher issues like that and that was a great moment that was a little bit, right, breaking out of making sure that there needed to be a joke every other few seconds.
3: And and I think, the, I think that's one reason, you know, I think Jimmy got a lot of attention for the healthcare stuff and I think Busy, yes. you know, really got a lot of great attention for mm-hmm. uh, the bravery of that too. It's like you... Uh, just bringing some personal meaning to it, you know, and I think cause everyone can shout at the headlines, but going like there is a human side to this that is not on Twitter. That is, you know, not on CNN, but it does affect people. And I think that's a great way that you can actually get a message out.
0: Yes. And so, yes, we would tell stories rather than preach.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. At Conan, I think, um, I mean, he's, he's never been super political, in the 25 years that he's been on the air, and uh, and I think he's always his sensibility is just a lot sillier and kind of more, um, I don't know. It's it's more evergreen, I would say, in a lot of ways than topical, and I think he's kind of stayed the course, even though the the impulse now really is to dive into the the fray. Um, but I but he also has kind of seen that so so much of late night now really is is these same topics and and especially with Twitter like things are getting beaten to death by the time we even tape so it's it's actually very difficult to come up with a fresh take on a lot of these news stories absolutely and so I think his sort of strategy has been rather than kind of you know try to compete for like the most epic clapback <laughs> um he he will like he'll be more interested in a, a sillier detail about something, or even just a, I mean, we're the only show that's doing, like, the topics like, uh, they just came out with a study that shows that ravens have empathy, and we'll, <laughs> we'll like, do a sketch about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but then you can at least be sure that, okay, well, whatever our take on the raven empathy uh, <laughs> headline is not going to have already been done a million times on Twitter.
1: Two you worked on shows that were n- new shows that were trying something different. Conan this year is trying, you know, he's doing a half hour. Late night in general, some of these shows are nightly, some are weekly. One was on a streaming service. Um, most people or a lot of people were just watching the clips online. Mm-hmm. Anyway, for you, what is a late night TV show in 2019 and what is a late night TV show in 2029? Like, what does it mean and why... What is the value of it at what it is now?
0: Can I just chime in here on the sort of gender aspect? Because Mm -hmm. I think some of the conversations around what made Busy Phillips' show a late night talk show versus, say, a daytime show was very gendered. Um, Because, you know, Busy's a mother, she talks about that. You know, she got the show because she was able to talk about her personal life uh, through her Instagram following um, and just her career. And I think that was a little frustrating to observe, you know, uh, whether it's through industry notes or, um, or or not notes, but just sort of commentary or whatnot, because it's like we also struggled with that. It's like we want to do the things that are affirming to the perspective that busy has, which happens to be a woman. But oftentimes that is um, a sort of. For pigeonholed to be um, daytime interests, does that make sense? Yeah. So like you know monologue jokes, we got a lot of mileage about uh, uh, you know this, the women who are marrying ghosts. Remember those remember those news stories, right? So so you know well, what makes it late night? Well, there's some of it was like jokes about ghost fucking. Maybe that's what makes it late night. You know yeah. what I mean? It was it was a little bit of this conversation internally too. Right. Like, oh, what makes this bit different from something that say Ellen would do or whatever, you know, Um, but it's so gendered because what's messed up is like, you know, the, the energy of, of busy, she has an edge already, but she also is a woman. And for whatever reason, the ideas around being a woman or a mother are always relegated, quote unquote, to the sort of daytime, you know, um, category or label and i think that that to me i would i basically want the business model to completely change and to take down the patriarchy but so that's the bottom line that you know that what busy did which is do a sketch or do a bit where she brought the staff to a bra shop to have a bra fitting you know uh, and cheer each other on call it bra buddies it's a late night bit and we got so many, so much feedback from women saying, I cried watching this because you were so affirming. You showed different colored and different shaped bodies um, and the whole energy of it was to be affirming around going to get fitted for a bra, which bra shopping, most women like jean shopping or swimsuit shopping can feel like torture, you know? And so I think there's elements that we believed in, but we didn't know if the industry or the conversation Understood. Mm-hmm. Sometimes,
3: yeah. I mean, uh, to your point, I, I think it's a, <clears throat> it's a the job of a late night show, however it is viewed, is just to react to what is going on in the world. And I think in the last few years, that's been a lot more politics than it used to be. Um, <clears throat> but I think too, you know, it's it is. Um, everyday life, whatever and i I think our goal at the end of the day is to you know be the you know like kind of the meat grinder it's like all everything that happened falls into the late night shows and we grind it and we try to come out with like a you know, a comedy sausage—that's terrible. But but it's like, sorry, you had to follow, no, you had to follow through. Cut, cut that analogy out of the podcast. No, no. that's accurate. Uh, yeah. right. yeah. As soon as I said meat grinder, I go. This is not ending well. But there's
2: a lot of hoops in there. Yeah, yeah,
3: yes, there are. But but I think just you know, uh, you know, giving you know, everyone has these thoughts on what's going on in the world, and we try to you know have a funny reaction to them, where it's like you might feel, oh, uh, that made me sad, or I think that's ridiculous, or whatever. You can tune in, and watch these shows, and go. Oh that's like that is how I feel but that's a funny take on it and it makes me feel a little better about that.
5: Yeah. Everybody's kind of got our job now. You know, people have gotten increasingly interested in politics and everybody's got a take on yep. everything and it's instant and you know, one thing I like about the format of our sc- of our show is it's really old school. It's it's live the way television used to be when people had some longer attention spans and um, it's it's a balance, you know, we're, we're, we're part news and part comedy, and hopefully the comedy makes the news easier to take. Um, but when everything's chopped up now, people grow up on YouTube. So everything's getting those bite-sized bits. It's my personal, you know, what I want to do is go in the opposite direction. I'm finding myself increasingly, uh, attracted to long form stuff where you have to stick around and really penetrate well and you know it's this double-edged
3: sword it's like youtube has greatly increased the spread of our shows way more people see them now i, I mean the, you know you look at the live tv numbers versus a bit from your show that you know did really well on youtube and you go oh wow like 10 million people saw that 10 million people are not watching tv at 11:30 at night anymore there are just so many options so that's good and i uh, you know for our types of shows but you know the i think the business hasn't totally caught up and so it's like the ratings wars and that that's yeah. like this big topic i go it, it's this arcane discussion <laughs> it, it's like who like if someone told you every night at 11:35 i sit in front of my tv and watch a show live you would think that person was mentally ill <laughs> You really would. You're like you don't DVR No, I like the commercials. Like I, I like them. Yeah. It's like it's it's nonsensical that we're still talking about ratings <laughs> in that way. Um, so it's I I feel like um the but a lot of money is made that way, and so I think people aren't necessarily willing to let that go. Um, but I the number one thing people say to me if they ask where I work and I say Jimmy came alive, if Jimmy came alive. Number one thing they say is I watch it on YouTube. I, I don't know if you guys experienced that with your yeah, shows. Yeah,
2: I mean that was a big reason for. Conan going to half an hour was most people were experiencing the show on their phones and watching clips and so it kind of doesn't matter how long the show is because it's really just like I mean you could even initially the conceit was well it's half an hour for TV but we might tape extra stuff and that it's only going to go online and that's gonna get just as many if not more eyeballs and, and
3: most of your viewers may not even know the difference if no. they're watching it online like they, they wouldn't know, know that yeah. it wasn't
2: part of the linear show you know yeah. um
1: you mean the, the audience isn't saying linear show they're
2: not surprisingly <laughs> 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 but yeah i don't know it's such a weird like like uh tv's kind of been displaced by netflix and other streaming services which are now actually just becoming tv and so it's like all cycling around again and i I don't know my theory is just in ten years we're gonna ingest our comedy like through crackers <laughs> and <laughs> we'll it's have like a, a communion a- wafer, yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the delicious trisket it will deliver your daily comedy dosage
1: well and we'll end with this, do you guys have any advice for aspiring late night comedy writers? <laughs> Uh, just like write
3: a lot and don't wait for someone to give you the permission to do it because, especially now with Twitter and YouTube, uh, you, you there's no there's no one holding you back anymore. I mean, you can do a fully produced television show on your phone. I mean, something that looks as good as you see on any TV uh, station, and uh, you know we've hired people. Uh, because we just saw a great YouTube video and we go, who made that? And we've hired them. I mean, a lot of writers and directors and uh, we've hired people who are just super funny on Twitter and for our show like ours are like, wow, this person writes 10 really funny tweets every day. Like that's, they could do this job, you know? Um, so I there's just there there have never been fewer barriers and I feel like I meet some people who just say like uh, well yeah like I want to be a writer and you go what do you do they're like well I don't know I am not I don't have a job yet so I don't do it and it's it's just just do your own thing uh, I I met uh, Josh Comers uh, once who was a, a Conan writer and I remember him telling me that he he started. He just wrote five... He had a blog. He wrote five jokes every day. And he just did... Because he was unemployed, I think, and just was, I'm just going to do that. And he just did it religiously. And he said sometimes it took him all day to do it. Sometimes it took him 10 minutes to do it. But he did it every day. And he got really good at joke writing. And then when Conan called or whatever, he's like, oh, yeah, I have... Like, I don't need to write a packet. I have 10,000 jokes I can send you. And he he was ready when the opportunity came.
2: Yeah, you have to do it before you're given the opportunity to do it professionally. It's not like, oh, well, I'll... I'll show them what I've got once I get the job. It's you have to prove that you can do it in so many ways before you actually get the job.
3: And hopefully, you're doing something you like, so it doesn't feel. Cause people go, "Well, I'm supposed to work for free," and like, "Well, don't do something that feels like work." You know, make something that you legitimately are really excited to make and uh, hone your skills, and someone will find it. You know,
5: mm-hmm. when I had my uh, political blog, I didn't know how to write jokes. Really, like, I could do some stuff that was maybe funny but I, when I first worked on the show I totally had to learn how to write jokes and it's that, it's the Hamlet thing, the advice I would give the uh, brevity is the soul of wit um, and maybe people don't need to learn that as much anymore because of Twitter and it, uh, other formats that force you to do it but uh, early comedy writers used to call it shaving syllables you know um, and that's one thing I learned, you want to write for TV especially cut out everything <laughs> write it then cut out everything that's possibly unnecessary because those will end up that'll end up being your best material
4: um, I feel like let's see I have two things first one is if you're ever pitching anything for a celebrity don't make it where so they get wet because they hate that <laughs> good tip good tip <laughs> and yeah, that's um, wonderful the second one is this one was really big for me is like if you're going at things, uh, if you're applying to jobs or writing packets, or you really want something and you don't get it, you can't like beat yourself up and try to figure out why it didn't happen because everything is so arbitrary and you never know why something happened for one person or why it didn't happen for you or why did why didn't you hear about this? it's just like it, no one's thinking about you that hard <laughs> they really don't care and and decisions in every part of entertainment don't make sense to anybody including the people that make it and i used to just beat myself up like what's wrong with you and why, you know, you screwed up, like, uh, you know, like, you spelled something wrong on a packet and it's like, no one, like, cared. It's like, nobody, like, it's just, you just have to, like, just keep going and you can't ever tell yourself that you're, that you're a shitty writer. Or you don't deserve to go for something because it's, like, arbitrary and no one's really thinking about you. You just have to find out what makes you happy and just write a lot of it.
2: Well, and adding to what Jocelyn just said, I, Read somewhere that, like, w- women are seventy times more likely to not reapply for the same yeah. job if they get rejected the first time, and I think that's a big reason why maybe there aren't as many women working in late night because, uh, you know, we we take that first rejection as like, oh God, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to impose on you, I was. I, I'll stay in my lane now, and I'll never pursue my dreams again. Um, <laughs> and whereas men don't take it that personally, and then they, you know, they keep applying. and And we discovered recently on Conan that none of the writers who were there got hired from their first packet. So you know, even if you don't get hired somewhere that you are have your your heart set on submitting, you know, keep working at it. You're just going to get better and better the more that you do it. And and yeah, no one's going to remember that you didn't make it in the I first time. They're not going to remember oh, your I name. Just,
4: the, the number of things that I latched onto that were these small, minute details that you, you m- blow those out of proportion in your mind because that's the one thing you have control over. But hiring has so many different factors and so much of that is out of your control and you can't spend a second trying to to figure out what it is, because you won't.
5: Yeah, and by the way, one more thing about packets. When Bill gets the packets, they don't have names. Mm-hmm. They're blind, there's uh-huh. nothing on there. So he's not gonna know whether or not it's the second time he's reading your stuff.
3: Yeah. And also, as someone who's, who's read a lot of packets, I, I, I actually like when someone applies again and I can go, I remember this person from last time, and you can see, oh, you know, they they have gotten better in that time. You know, I and I, I'm honored someone wants to work at the show that much that they spent the time to write not only one packet but multiple packets. And um, uh, one of our supervising producers, who's a writer too, uh, Gary Greenberg, who's an amazing writer and is probably a writer who gets the most on the show every day. I think applied to write at the show five times before he got yeah. hired, and then he did, and he's been there ever since. And so I, you know, uh, you, you guys are totally right. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, my other piece of advice is if you're in a meeting for a show for, to be a writer and they ask you what your honest opinions are about the show, don't tell them your honest opinions. <laughs> tell them something good.
3: <laughs> Will you tell me the story when we're not holding microphones?
2: <laughs> yeah, I just made a mistake early on where I was like, well, I have a few notes. And then I went into like a long... <laughs> It, that was not appreciated
0: I think people want to know that you're a like chill person to work with so that's also important like ditto to everything that's been said Like, but like I don't know I talked about this there's like some write up somewhere where I talk about how I got my job and uh, at the interview, because there was a blind reading, and then they like would check off like if they liked it, and then when I got the interview, it, it was this really great conversation, and I really clicked with Busy, and I made her cry, and I cried like it was like a part of the interview, which is very unorthodox, but very on brand for Busy Phillips, you know, and so it actually ended up working in my favor, and so um, I'm not saying cry at your interview. <laughs> But really know who you're talking to. I think that's a good <laughs> piece of advice. Who Really know who you're writing for or who you're sh- aiming to work for.
1: And that's the end of the panel. So thank these people. Thank you, guys. There'll be a reception on the second floor. So you go to that uh, and have a good uh, evening. If you want to listen to it again, it'll, we'll be on Good One at some point. <laughs> that's it for another episode of Good One. Conan airs weeknights on TBS. Jimmy Kimmel Live airs weeknights on ABC. Real Time with Bill Maher airs Fridays on HBO. You can watch episodes of I Love You America on Hulu and old episodes of Busy Tonight on the ENOW app. Follow Jesse Gaskell on Twitter. And again, this is her Twitter. I am not mispronouncing it. At Jesse's Twats. Follow Jocelyn Richard at Jocelyn Richard. Jenny Yang at Jenny Yang TV. Danny Ricker at Danny Ricker. Matt Gunn isn't on Twitter. Must be nice. Good One is produced by Mike Comitay with production assistance from Marissa Melnick. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Rate, review, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them what the heck. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions at goodonepodcasts at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back next week with a new episode and a new joke. Have a good one.